Okay, cool. Um, hi, Juliet. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. I'm excited to do this. Um, I think this is such a good idea, and I think there needs to be like more stuff like this out there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so I like to start with, uh, with the question of just how, like, when did you first hear about mental health? Like, when did you realize that that was like even a thing? For me, I think I was like really young actually when I, started to like know what mental health was. Um, and that's because my grandmother was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia at a very young age. Um, and my dad actually went through some mental health issues himself. So it was always something that we talked about. It was always something like, like very relevant in conversation. And, you know, there were no secrets in our family. Like everything was just talked about. That's really great. I don't think many people have that experience. Um, although it can be extremely difficult, like dealing with mental health um, among family members at a young age. Um, I do think that the exposure to it is, is important on some level because it pervades our life, like for most people. Um, so having that early exposure, I I'm sure it was difficult to deal with, but I think it can also be helpful like later on in life. W what were your experiences with your grandma? Uh, do you remember or? Not really. Um, and I think, and I have like a bad memory, but I think she actually passed away when I was very young. Um, but I, my dad is very, very verbal and very story oriented I suppose so he would just always talk about kind of his experience with that um and kind of what it was like growing up at the time it was called paranoid schizophrenia which is not actually I think a part of like the DSM now um so as a young child it always like scared me though like I was like I heard that if your dad's mom like has schizophrenia then it skips a generation and goes so like there's all these like misconceptions of um, like what it was and how it's actually genetic or isn't genetic. So growing up, I had like a very like distorted view of what actual mental illness was. Um, and like I said, my dad had depression like when I was growing up. So that was like something I understood, but not really. Um, so yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was it like growing up with a parent who had depression? Um, he did a really good job of, uh, I guess, putting on like a brave face. Um, you know, my mom died when I was very little. So again, like it was just kind of like another layer of like, this happened, you're very young and now you need to understand this. And because of that, my dad and I had a very um, close relationship, but also as a young child, you know, those boundaries were um, skewed a lot of the time, like being a support system from someone who's your parent when you're like five or six years old. So um, I feel like it gave me a very like raw sense of like reality and things that can go wrong at a very young age. Um, so that was also really difficult for me to conceptualize at the time. In what ways uh, did you have to support your dad? Um, 
I guess like emotionally, like I just have these memories of just times when he would take things very, very hard and be like very emotional about it. And me being so young and being the only person in the house having to just be there and witness that. Um, and of course, like I didn't know this at the time, but grief comes with so much, so many layers, like the anger, um, the resentment, I guess. And he was just so angry, like for a lot of my childhood, um, just in like spurts and having to watch that and not really like understanding why or why it was maybe directed at me or like directed towards somebody else, like maybe inappropriately. Um, so just like having to be there and like kind of witness it. And then also, um, you know, having a dad who would kind of like yell at like a receptionist, like very inappropriately. And then at a young age, kind of going back and being like, I'm so sorry. Like he just had a bad day. Like it's okay. So I guess emotional support in that way comes in a different form. So you kind of had to learn like really early in your life, how to respond to someone who had a mood disorder and you were, you were, you mentioned like kind of you were taking care of him in a way. Do you feel like that affected you in some way, like later in life, um, having, learning, having to learn how to take care of someone in that way who was going through something very intense that you didn't really know much about? Definitely. I think my whole, well, I wouldn't say so much anymore, but my whole like adolescence was kind of like patterns of me trying to take care of other people and not understanding how that is actually or can be unhealthy um, for myself and also taking on these like really big roles like I remember having a friend in high school who was like very suicidal and thinking that it was like my responsibility to like take care of that somehow and not really understanding um, like how that can be how that can be a shared role or like be told to somebody else or, you know, not entirely my responsibility. Do you, do you still feel like that, that you kind of are that person who just like takes care of everyone and has that tendency? Um, less so now because I'm working in, um, I am a mental health counselor. So you have to learn, I think very quickly, like where your boundaries lie or else you will just get burnt out so fast. So I think when I started actually doing like the work in the field, it's like, okay, this is, I have to take care of myself because I can't do any of this and I can't help other people in my personal life at work if I'm going to be taking on everyone else's stuff all the time. Um, so it's a lot of times just figuring out how to separate myself from that and being like, okay, this isn't your responsibility. Um, you can help only as much as you can, uh, but you still have to do what's right you so that's kind of the internal thought process I suppose right and have you had any personal experiences with any mental health issues um I am someone who like has been in therapy for my like for my whole life um because of like I said my mom dying at such a young age like even when I was little my dad was like art therapy go um, but I've never been told, like, you have a diagnosis of this or that. Um, I definitely think I struggle with my own, like, things mental health-wise that that doesn't really have to do with maybe, like, depression or anxiety. But I think mental health is always um, a balance, and it can always be, like, a little bit of a struggle. 
that yeah. sense? No, for sure. I, you know, we've so far in the two episodes that I've recorded, like people have been talking about, um, you know, kind of diagnosed conditions, but I think that equally as important is to talk about mental health just as like a concept and it doesn't always have to be like I was diagnosed with depression or anxiety or whatever the case is. Like sometimes mental health is just that it's just like knowing how to keep your mind healthy. Um, it's the same thing as like, even if you, you know, don't have a, um, physical sickness, if you're not diagnosed with something, you know, some serious condition, you still have to exercise. You still have to do healthy things. You still have to eat right. You know, you still have to do healthy things for your body. It's the same thing with your mind. Right. Yeah. I actually really resonate with that. Like the thought of like mental health as a concept, because for me, it's like kind of taking these life experiences that, you know, have helped shape me and then kind of figuring out how that affects me in a good way and how that's kind of affected me in a negative way and may like actually hold me back or make it difficult for me to do certain things. So that's like kind of a continued, I guess, learning process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about the uh, grieving process? That's, I'm not really familiar um, with that feeling. I've never, thankfully I've never had someone close to me pass away and I think it's just something that I don't know much about. So I would love to hear like yeah. how you process that. Yeah, no, of yeah. course. Um, so I was, I was actually um, three months old when my mom died. Um, so in terms of grieving, it's like something that I grew up like always knowing, but it didn't like, and I remember this so clearly, like it hit me like one night and I was just like, Oh my God, like my mom is dead and I'll never know her. And who, who would I have been and all these things. And that was really hard for me to process as a child. I think I was like five or six. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was like a typical grieving process because I was so young and it like, it just kind of formulated in a different way because I was actually at an age where I could like understand what death was, but it really skewed, you know, my perception of what mortality is at such a young age like when you're five or six you're like I'm invincible I can do you know whatever I want like life is forever and we're having fun and for me it was like the total opposite so I think that's kind of how I like grieved with it almost is just kind of like what is <laughs> what is life what is death and again like at such a young age so it's um it was a lot of like me relying on my dad and therapy to kind of like talk that stuff out because a lot of kids my age are not thinking about like the meaning of being alive and why some people get to and other people don't um and now as I am older I feel very able to talk about it like I felt like when I was little I couldn't even like if someone even asked a question about me having like a mom I would like totally shut down um because it was just so something I just couldn't like put into words um but now it's like the day that she passed away and like her birthday is probably the hardest days for me and then the rest of the time I feel like very like okay I can talk about this this is a part of who I am like it's sad but um I've like very much come to to terms with it 
so because of again because I was such a young age I don't think I I was as um like textbook grieving as maybe somebody a little bit older that almost seems like an entirely different thing to deal with like having never known the person a person who was a huge part of who is just naturally a huge part of your life by extension you know by who your father is by you know who by just by genetics like you know that this person is so much a part of you but right. you never really knew them right so yeah, i can't I yeah i mean i i had the closest thing i had i had a grandma pass away that i was somewhat close to and i don't think i was close enough where it like affected me in a deep way but it was the i just remember like that first experience of loss in my life because it was like and it is it's really it can be really hard to wrap your head around it's such a it's such a weird concept like if you think about it too much it's yeah yeah no literally um like even with that like as when i was little i had a, a panic attack once because i you know how like you think about like life and you're like whoa i need to like <laughs> maybe back away from this subject that happened to me when i was little and it induced this like panic attack um and now when i'm like <laughs> at this age when i like think too much about it and like life and um you know i like look out into the stars and i'm like wow this this is so like temporary and all that i'm like okay let's back away from this <laughs> it's like that muscle memory of like if i go too far down this hole like maybe I'll have a panic attack, maybe like something negative. So I also try to like maybe stray away from that a little because it's just like too heavy. Yeah. Well, I think you, you bring up something really interesting is that feeling of like existential dread. That's, that's what it sounds like you're (laughs) describing to me. Like I definitely experienced that. And I don't know if that's something that's, because I, I was diagnosed depression when I was like very young and that feeling of like existential dread, like just trying to wrap my head around the concept of like being alive is, was like always really scary for me. But I'm, I'm wondering if you can go into like a little bit more detail about that feeling that you have, like that panicky feeling, like what is, what's scary about that for you? I guess it's just like the, and I think again, this is connected with just having such a um, early and like, I guess, intimate experience with someone dying. Um, But I'm just like, what's after? Like, and it kind of like, that's something that I think about a lot, not like in a, I want to know, but in a, like, I'm just so curious, like this, we are aging and all this is happening and, um, you know, with global warming and everything happening right now, these things are like just so much, it's not as like this far away thing, like you could be in a situation right now where like your your entire life isn't guaranteed even more. So it's kind of like, for me, I just think like, um, you know, our perception of reality and all this thing is so, like how you're saying it's so, um, I don't want to say like temporary, but it's like relative, like there is an end and what is that? And that's kind of like, even as a child, like something I'm like, I don't understand. And, you know, so I guess that's kind of what it is for me at least. Um, But I definitely resonate with like feelings of existential dread, especially with like everything that's been going on, like in the world. And um, like I said, like with 
global warming, which is something that just like really puts things into perspective for me. So. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, yeah, right now, like with all of these kind of threats to humanity that we're going through, like, I know yeah. that feeling has been a lot more intense for me. And I right. think it has for a lot of people. There's a show on Netflix that I always bring up when people talk about death. It's, okay. um, shit, what is it called? <laughs> oh, Midnight Gospel. Have you heard of it? Okay. Actually, yes, but I like very minimally, I have no idea what it's about, but I've heard of it before. And now okay, I'm just going to talk about this briefly because I think okay. you would find it interesting and anyone who's listening who thinks about death would find it interesting. It's, it's a, po- it's a podcast, but it's like someone animated um, a few episodes of a podcast. So like each episode cool. is kind of standalone and the animation is like very trippy and weird. Um, every episode is about something different, but the last episode is about death and the guy is interviewing his mom who has cancer. And it's all about her coming to terms with dying. And the way she just describes it and like the conversation that they have is just like really beautiful and moving. So okay. I recommend. I'll definitely have to check it. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. You know, like even hearing you say that, like for me, um, thinking on my own like personal experiences, I think that as so- someone who was younger at the time, like death was like the scariest thing to me. And I think that's why I was like so much preoccupied with like what happens after all of this and like we're just going to keep aging. And um, it's also like coming to terms that that isn't scary and it's just something that's kind of like a part of life. And it's maybe the unknown that's really scary, just something that you just can't experience until you're there. So that's my way of also like coping with the (laughs) existential dread, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you are uh doing anything to like fight that feeling on a daily basis or like things like trying to prevent your own mortality like I know when people get older like they you see like older people like starting to like exercise a lot more like all of a sudden changing their diet a lot are you do do you like are you aware of that is that something that you think about I actually think I'm like a little bit of the opposite now um like to the point where I'm like this is my one life and I'm gonna literally just like live it how I choose um like if I want to like eat a whole tub of like ice cream I'm just gonna do it um and we'll just like kind of worry about the consequences later (laughs) and I tend to like take that approach with like a lot of things like I'll have like a pain like a physical pain I'm like I should go to the doctor about this and like do something about it but I'm like it's fine. Like, we're just going to wait and like, see what happens. And um, so I think it's actually had the opposite effect where I've been a little bit like too like lazy fair about things that maybe need to be doing because I just, I'm like, i just can't, I don't want to spend my whole life worrying. Um, you know? And I think that a lot of my childhood was like kind of eaten up by the worrying aspect of things. And I don't want to spend like this next whatever of my life, like in a similar headspace and atmosphere. So I think for me, it's like, I need to find like the healthy balance of like, yes, we're going to exercise, you know, we're going to make the right choices, but also like, I'm going to have fun and like, you know, 
really like live life, I guess, in a way that I find is best for me. That seems like a, a point of growth in in my opinion, like especially, you know, dealing with something so difficult when you were younger. And as you said, like wor- something that was something that you worried about or thought about a lot. Do you, how did that change? Like, how did you switch your mindset from like worrying about it to like, you know what, I'm just going to live my life and. Yeah, I think like I spent so much of like what's supposed to be like carefree, like times of my life. And what I mean by that is just, again, what I associate childhood and adolescence to be is this more like I have no responsibilities, like life is awesome or, you know, whatever for everyone it's different. Um, I spent so much of my time like in that space like where I was like worried and like always thinking about you know mortality and like mental health and like really taking on other people's mental health and not really being able to um, have that time of my life and I just think it put things into um, a different perspective for me especially as I get older and um, even as I like went to college and really separated myself actually from my dad it was a really important like experience for me to just be like, okay, this like is what life could be like. Um, I can make it kind of whatever I choose and what do I choose? What do I want it to be? Um, So I'm still kind of like figuring out what that is. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to become a mental health counselor? Yeah, I actually really (laughs) resisted this pathway for a long time. my dad was always like, you're going to be a therapist one day. I can just tell. And I'd be like, no, I can't do this. This is too much. And I went to college and I was like, I'm going to be an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I really love history. I'm going to be a lawyer. And I stuck with that for a really long time. Um, but there's just, I just have always wanted to help people. And it sounds so cliche, I know. Um, but law can't. I was like, law can't help people. I need to like do something else. Um, And I actually went to, into psychology. Um, And even with that, I was very interested in like the research aspect, not the people and like being in a room sitting with someone um, one-on-one. And I kind of just ended up here because I did an internship in a hospital in college where I was a patient advocate. And I just got to like sit in a room with different patients um, in a wing of a hospital and just talk to them. And I, they were really rich and, you know, deep conversations. And I was like, I think I could maybe do this a little bit more and maybe even like do this a little bit more as a career. And then um, upon graduating, I just explored that more and somehow, again, just like ended up um, at my job now as a mental health counselor. And I just, I love it. So it's just a series of accidents. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's awesome though. I went through something somewhat similar. Um, I also did psychology undergrad and I was about to go to medical school because I had like the same thing. I was like, I want to help people realize it wasn't for me. Uh, I was a teacher for a little bit. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I think there there are people out there who, uh, you know, know social work is like their path, but it kind of feels like everyone has a little bit of a different background and, um, wasn't always like planning on do, being a social worker or going into that field. You kind of like yeah. find it, you know? Yeah. I had, like, I literally didn't understand what social work was for a really long time. 
um, I wanted to go back to school, but I didn't know how or like at what capacity. And for a really long time, I was like, I'm going to go and get my PhD and like do this research thing, like full, fully. Um, and then I was like, maybe I'm going to get my master's in counseling. And then I met social workers and I realized, you know, how the way that it just like accounts for all these various aspects and just how important that is in working with people and being a person myself, like all these things are so interconnected um, that I, I have really changed, I guess, my perception of what therapy and counseling could and should be and should, I guess, like, of course, is interpreted to differently to everyone. Um, but there's just so much that, you know, isn't accounted for just in um, the way I learned psychology in my undergrad, like very singular, very individual. Um, and I think that the world and so much of the environment and, you know, that macro level of like policy and all those things, it just affects, you know, everyone on such a different level. And um, really affects like people's ability to like grow and succeed that I think it's just extremely important. Yeah. How, how has your experience been as a mental health counselor? Like, is it what you thought it would be? Is it difficult talking to people about their mental health problems all day? Um, I don't really think I had a, what it's supposed or maybe I did. I thought that like therapy was like you sit in a room and you talk to someone about like their day. Um, and I work with a very specific population of individuals. Um, I guess they're over the age of 20. Um, and they have to have a diagnosed uh, mental health illness and they have to have been hospitalized. Um, and that could be voluntary. It could be involuntary. Um, so like physically talking to them is actually something that comes very naturally for me, but it, it's difficult always. Every day is difficult. Um, like you, I, a lot of times feel like I have a whole person's like problems in front of me and I'm so responsible for like saying the right thing or like not even the right thing, but just not triggering them or adding to their like trauma or those kinds of things. So it can be difficult in that way. Um, and being very impartial, like my style as a counselor is like, I will never tell my client, like, you have to do this. Um, I'm more of like, let's work together. And like, I will help guide you to what you feel is right. And I guess what's most difficult about that is because I work in a nonprofit agency that is, you know, funded through Medicaid and Medicare. That's not always what their standards of um, like what client treatment should be. Like, it's mostly like your clients have to get a job. They have to be working. They have to be. And I don't like, I don't always like that. I think that that's fitting people into boxes and that's what makes it very difficult. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole other episode and probably <laughs> like a whole separate podcast about the problems with our healthcare system and yeah. how it deals with mental health. Um, Definitely. You, yeah. Do you, uh, do you ever like take stuff home with you? Like emotionally, does it, does it ever like wear on you in any way? Um, when I first started a lot more, I had a client who had borderline personality disorder. Um, and that's been, I've somehow worked the most with clients like that, um, or with that diagnosis. And it's, 
for me, um, I'm still learning so much. So it, it sometimes is difficult because my undergrad, I work mostly with people with schizophrenia. Um, but every Friday they would come in and they would tell me that they wanted to kill themselves. And I would assess them for suicide. And there's kind of like this risk assessment that's standard. And if you say yes to a certain amount of questions, we call the hospital and you'll probably get taken there and evaluated. But if you say no, then as a counselor, it's, you know, you don't have any like reason to call. And they would say, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't call you. I can't, you know, I have no, no treatment to go to. So right now I don't want to, you know, I have no intent to kill myself, but I don't know what's going to happen later. And I would get in my car every Friday and I would just cry because I'd be like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm going to see them on Monday and I don't know what's going to happen. And that was really, really hard. I think that's like the time where I was like, okay, if I keep taking these things home with me, I can't come to work on Monday because it's too scary to be like, okay, are you going to walk through the door? And how could I have prevented that? And I, you know, I've had a client actually um, commit suicide and that was like maybe a, a year into me working at where I work now. And that was just that, that was like, a, I don't know if I can come to work on Monday kind of experience as well. So I'm still learning how to not take things home with me because I do feel so much for each client I work with and as people I just root for them so much and I want to see them do well so I I'm still learning but I do try really hard to separate myself in that way yeah it's it's a strange profession because it's something that and I'm talking about mental health counseling and social work in general because it's something you know at the end of the day it is your it is your job. It is your profession, but it's also so intimately connected with like who you are as a person, you know, the fact that you as a person would even want to commit yourself to helping people in this way. It's because you care about people and you care about the people that you're treating, but you're also expected to not get invested in their lives. Like, yeah. I'm I know that's something as a budding social worker I'm like how do I how do I figure this out like do you have Yeah. How do you I mean how do you manage that? Do you have advice? Do you think about um, that? Uh I mean it's it's hard because to be human is to have emotion, right? For the most part and how can you you know, talk to someone about their most intimate things and not feel emotion. Um, and my bosses are very good at, at distancing themselves to the point where I'm like, do you feel things? <laughs> um, and sometimes I'm like, how did you get there? So I don't really have, I guess, advice for me. Um, I have to tell myself that I can only do what I can do. I'm not here, you know, to like literally fix someone's problems I can only be here as much as I can I can only say as much as I can in that moment and hope that ultimately you know they will make decisions that are right for them 
but my boss always says your clients are allowed to make mistakes um if they go to the hospital that's actually a good thing um and we can only learn i guess from each experience so i i wish i had advice like this is how you separate yourself but it's something that i'm very much still learning um and it's because i am such like an emotionally an emotional person like just in myself and in my own personal life so yeah it's hard though because like i want to laugh and like be you know human with them but sometimes i have to kind of like distance myself even in session because i know that if i get a little too attached it'll be um it'll be negative for me yeah well you said something i think that's pretty enlightening which is just the what the expectations are of you right. um because i just think that the default mode for most people i know it would be for me is like okay i'm here to like solve this person's problems and that's what i have to do and if i don't i failed but yeah. it seems like you're saying it's it's about more than that right it, yeah and i think that when you start you'll figure it out like when if you want to work with people i think you won't have a choice so i think either way um <laughs> an internship or something and experience will lead you that, that way. So no matter what, you have to like figure out who you are going to be as a counselor. And it's going to be totally different from me or anyone else that, you know, like everyone just develops their own way. But I felt very much like I would do these big group therapy sessions when I first started and someone would like tell me a problem. I'd be like, here's like 10 solutions. And you, you just see like, if it's not someone's idea, they're not going to like grab onto it. Um, it's not going to like take hold. Like you can, you can have your own idea about someone, something and then try to like lead someone there. But ultimately it has to come from their own like volition or else it just, it won't mean as much. So that's something I've learned just by watching and just, um, you know, seeing when someone does come up with something they want to do and it's totally their own and how much of themselves they put into that versus like something where I'm like, you should do this. This would be helpful. And it never really like pans out in the same way. Yeah, that I think about like all my therapy sessions where my therapists are like trying to get me to come to my own conclusion. And like, it really is. That's so true. It really, if someone can give you like all the good advice in the world, but if it doesn't match with your style of thinking and acting, then it's not going to be effective. Right. And that's like just in life always, like your friends give you advice and you always joke, like, oh, if I could just like take my own advice and like everything would be fine. Or like I give my friend advice and they never take it. And it's really that, that idea of that, like people are allowed to make mistakes and that's okay. And whatever comes from that is also okay. As long as you're able to, you know, hopefully reach out to help if you need it and process things and, even if you don't, like, as long as you have that support system there um, to work through what happened and maybe how to avoid that in the future and then kind of go from there. So that's exactly what I try to <laughs> tell myself, like, when I'm, you know, seeing something unfold that maybe is not entirely beneficial. Um, but also, you just never know, maybe that's part of the process of someone being very, you know, successful in something is kind of going through that trial and error. So, yeah. Yeah. So as a uh, counselor and as someone who's experienced loss in their life, 
what advice do you give for, for people just in general struggling with mental health issues? Do you have something that you think is effective? Yeah. Um, I, I think I talk to a lot of clients who have experienced loss, um, maybe even like a little bit more traumatic. And what I've advice that I think I'm like very much like always say is don't hold it in. Like talk about it. If you need to cry, like cry with us in group, like don't hold it in though. Cause that's, that's when things start to get bad. And I, I recognize that from my own, I guess, journey, um, what holding things in can do like long-term. And I think something I've realized a lot with my clients is they have these um, very skewed perceptions of mental health. Um, like you asked me, when did I like learn about mental health? They're like learning it for the first time. And a lot of them are in their forties or fifties. Um, and they've, they've come from a place where they always are holding things in. So it's like just getting them to release that and talk about it is my main thing. Just like whatever you say, you know, like whatever it is, like we'll deal with it. We'll process it. We'll unpack and try to work through it, but you, it has to come out first though. Even if it's like the same thing every week. And I think a lot of clients get like wrapped up in that. Like I just say the same thing every single time. And like, that's okay. Like that's how you feel. And um, just like validating themselves. That's something I think I've struggled with a lot is invalidating myself. Um, and I see other people do it. I see it in, you know, in school, <laughs> just like in being a social worker and being in class, people like, you know, what am I doing here? Everyone here is smarter than me. And, you know, all those things, clients do it all the time, especially with grief. Um, just, I guess what I've noticed is that those patterns of invalidation and then kind of like shutting down and wanting to hold things in. So I'm always just like, just express it. Let's just talk about it and we'll just go from there. That's great. That's excellent advice. It's good life advice <laughs> for everything. Yeah. Don't hold it in. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just like, I'm such a talker. So I'm like, let's just talk about everything. Just like say it and we'll just like, whatever happens, we'll just like figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, you know, you bring that energy and I think people see it and I could see you being an amazing counselor because I think you make people feel Thank really you. comfortable. So that's a great quality. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, like I said, you don't know how you're going to be um, like in a room with somebody else until you're there. I'm actually very different. Like just in terms of like a person, like when I'm in a session versus like who I am, like really in my life. And I think that's another part of kind of like separating myself from um, like work. And then I go home and I'm, I get to be like who I, who I am. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're approaching the end. Thank you so much for coming on. I just yeah, like to ask uh, one last question. If there was anything that you feel like we didn't talk about or touch on in, in the mental health world that you wanted to share with people. Um, I think, I think we talked about a lot <laughs> and some really great stuff, but I think um, something that it's, that's important is understanding our own biases towards mental health and our own perceptions of what that is or why it's negative. Um, that's kind of instilled from us just because of our environments or society, all of those things. I think those can sometimes be like the biggest hidden barriers almost of like why we don't talk about things or why 
we don't accept things. Um, so I'm even still doing this with myself, just kind of like trying to uncover those things. Um, so I think that's just an important role of understanding, you know, yourself and the ways we get in our own way. So yeah. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Julia. Really appreciate yeah, thank you being you so here. Much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And I also managed to tell my like entire life story. So there you Perfect. go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Take care. All righty, you too.